Welcome to Processing Sufferance, the after-show podcast brought to you by the Hollywood Critics Association. I'm your host, Rasha Goel, joined by my amazing co-host, Jeff Ewing and Rick Hong. Bingo! All right, we have... Don't you love the excitement on our show here? Well, we have a great show planned for all of you, but if you haven't watched episode three yet, you may want to come back before watching our after show because we are going to be breaking down the show, may give away some spoilers, and really talk about the show. And if you don't want to know what's happened ahead of time, come back and revisit us. I just want to give a shout out to a couple of our viewers who've been sending in their comments. And we are reading, guys, aren't we, Rick? Yep. Jeff, right? Bring it our way. Bring it our way. 100%. Yes, we do. We read through every single comment, so keep them coming. Let us know what you're thinking about. But I've got a couple that I'm going to share right now. Mooney Real saying, I hope the payoff is as good as the intrigue leading up to it. The entire show could be just mystery and intrigue, and I'd be happy. The best parts of it have happened before we started getting explanations. So... Yep, I think we have a lot more to fill in um, on that part there. TNLW saying, I love the first episode of Severance. It was chilling how many similarities I found to today's woke workplace. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, usually I'm asleep at work, so. Okay. You're asleep at work. Okay, well, there you go, Rick. Where most people present a fake version of themselves and measure every word to avoid repercussions and management's token attempts of recognition. Anthony Williamson saying, if the innies only think they're constantly at work, wouldn't they get burned out? Okay, so we're going to answer this question for you real quick. What do you guys think about that? Well, I think it's interesting because uh, Mark does mention that he doesn't remember sleep, but that he uh, feels the effects of sleep. So I guess if you have a very responsible Audi that is great with self-care, you know, you might really get lucky on that front. Anthony, great question. Um, he did say it's like being put under for surgery. You remember counting down until you're you're under the next thing you know you're being woken up again in the same hospital. Imagine that for your rest of your imagine that for the rest of your life. Pretty eerie, I would say. Uh, we do have another question though that I do want to address, and this is by Milton nineteen sixty nine Abel. Good question. How did Petey smuggle the audio recording out? And we're talking about episode one and two still. We're reflecting on that before we go into episode three. But how did he sneak it out? You know what they say in the show? They, they, you know, they give you hints of like, well, we have this detection. We have that detection. But maybe they really don't. And, that, and so he just made an attempt to... I don't know. Put it, put it, you know, put it somewhere where you know, and uh, you know, they that's, that's why track I think, you know, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, and he managed to. He found a loophole, and he, he, like you said, like you know what? I'm at least going to give this a shot, and he was able to get out. I also think it's possible because he's been obviously exploring uh, the Lumen area. He doesn't know all the nooks and crannies or question marks on the map, but there might be because there, are, there are, are people. We'll get into this later. Uh, there are people that, that, you know, that they may, may not be severed. Uh, there might also be parts of the building that may not be severed, and he might have found an access point because he has been exploring around. I was just going to say that, actually. Because he was able to find a loophole and get himself out of there, I think there was a lot of um, undercover work that was done by him. So he probably found a way to sneak it out. Like, I, I'm going to think that there's maybe an area that was undetected, and he was able to kind of just work his way out. People always underestimate the mailroom. 
always. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. So we'll we'll find out. But that was a great question. So thank you again to our viewers, our audience who've been chiming in. And hey, listen, we want to continue hearing from you. So if there's any questions you have or you want to break down something with us, let us know. And you can do this all by commenting, of course. And don't forget to like us. But if you want to email us, you can email us at shows at Hollywood Critics Association. That's with an S for critics. And make sure you put severance in the subject so that we know that you are directing your your questions or comments to us. All right, so let's break down episode three. I'm just going to say a lot of crazy stuff went down in episode three. I had to watch the episode two to three times. Uh, let's just start off with how the show opened with PD and Mark and, and them having this conversation. And I think, I don't know, Mark is really now, I, I feel like he's really starting to question his place. How did you guys feel about that conversation and him kind of trying to understand Petey a little bit more? Well, what I liked is like our last show, you know, we were talking about how it was kind of left on a cliffhanger. We weren't sure if Petey actually lived in that bathroom or not. And we saw like that weird flash of him with his clothes and then him without like without his shirt on. So it's nice to see that Petey's alive. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, and it's and it's nice to see that like there's that conversation between the two where Petey's giving a little bit more information and Mark is like listening, but he's still kind of resistant. Like he's still kind of saying, like, no, but dude, I'm not gonna do that. You know, he's like, I don't he's like, I don't want to be unsevered. So Right. I, well, I think some one of the interesting things is that Mark doesn't I mean he he's coming to trust Petey, but he doesn't have that unity of experience yet. So Audi Mark is still having to be like, Yeah, okay. All right, sure. All right, this isn't weird. Um, and so there, there's the, definitely a barrier of information and trust that is starting to be bridged. So he's starting to let the information and in, get curious. Well, you just said the. I was going to say the word curious because I feel like in his eyes and the dialogue, there is that curiosity that's coming up within him. I also feel like we're seeing a little bit of a compassionate side to him. You know, at the office. He is caring. He wants to work with his coworkers. He wants to keep the peace. But I feel like with Petey, because of the curiosity and the intrigue of, wait, what happened with him? Where's this going? And him just kind of wanting to give this person a place to be and make sure that he feels safe. So again, we know that there's a connection to PD. I mean, we've constantly heard the reference of, you know, PD had the supervising position um, ahead of, you know, ahead of him until he got thrown into it, which leads me to that meeting in that in the office, of course, where they're asking him to kind of give a rundown of what's going to happen or just some points. And you could just see, I don't know, that, that seems so funny to me because I feel like Mark's just thrown in there and is trying to kind of find his way and everybody's got their side comments and they kind of don't respect him but they have to listen to him also please refrain from boasting about previously earned waffle parties feeling attacked uh and lastly oh and uh well, i've never seen a resignation request get such a quick turnaround do i have to finish out the day or can i skip out now Lastly, Helly's resignation request uh, was denied. Yeah, no, that can't be right. My Audi wouldn't do that. What was that scene like for you guys when you were watching it? I, I remember my first thought was with Milchek uh, following around with the old-timey camera. <laughs> 
and taking old, you know classic photos and it definitely uh, I remember thinking this is a fairly modern office why are they using cameras from the 1970s and it just set this odd tone and Mark feels so out of place that he's definitely not comfortable in being department head and being forced into that position of responsibility and from the things they have him read to everyone it seems like there are definitely issues that he doesn't think are relevant and they still appear relevant to the department. Yeah. And what I liked about it was because curious since he called in sick, I wanted to see, you know, and it's like the Audi person called in sick. So like, how does that affect when you go back to the office? You know, it's like, mm. they kind of address it really quick, but to note it, but to like everybody there, like acknowledge like, Hey, you were out sick yesterday, or at least your Audi was out sick. And Milicek had some reference about, you know, oh yeah, your Audi was like really bummed that he couldn't be. I believe he's like really bummed that he couldn't be at the office or some. He had made he had some made up story yep. about that. So it was really cool to see like you know Mark coming back in and everybody acknowledging. You know, even Irv's a little crazy. It's like, did you get skinnier? Were you throwing? Yes, yeah, no. <laughs> that, that line <laughs> caught my attention. So I kind of I, I like that banner aspect of that scene. Just you know, like that. Okay, it is it is acknowledged if someone's out sick. It's like what does happen when you have these like two separate lives. And, it's like, a, the any person wasn't supposedly sick. It's interesting. Yeah, because I'm wondering, like, what their thought process is and what's really going on behind it. But so here, too, in this scene, we really see the beginning of a meltdown for Helly. She finds out that her resignation was not accepted, and that's not possible. We see her storming out, and it really, I think, creates this chaotic environment for everyone because I don't think they've experienced someone in this kind of a way before it seems like everybody i mean we again we don't know the backstories so that's just my assumption but they're kind of taken aback by how she's acting yeah because she wonders why uh, i mean she says my audi wouldn't do that she wonders what possibly could have happened and one of the thing i also think is interesting is a little before that is when she's mentioning to when Mark finally re-enters the office and she's talking to him about that she put in her request before we found out it was denied, she mentions that, you know, she did the little number game thing that is their job, uh, but that the numbers actually were scary. And I thought they're definitely playing mind games there because I thought it was so interesting that they were described as scary number combinations by Mark when he was training her. And... That didn't make any sense, but apparently it's true for some odd reason. So there's something going on there that makes her inherently uncomfortable being in Lumen. Well, I think in episode three, two, we do start seeing or getting the feeling that this seems like a little cult that's happening. And we're going to get more into that because we see more of, of Lumen and its founders. But I'm getting a very cultish feeling. Um, you know, again, we saw Mrs. Salve going into Mark's home which also poses a bunch of questions. Rick, we were talking about that earlier. So I don't feel like she's really, I, I mean, what, what did you think of that? Like, I don't feel like she's fully, she doesn't have an Indian and Audi. Right, she's just the one person. And it, it kind of solves like that question that we kind of brought up last episode. Who, If you guys are watching, you know, that's what we talked about. So, but like, you know, like, but like the last episode of where we weren't, you know, we weren't 100% sure. Like I was, I was pretty confident that, you know, she's over, she's the creepy, like overseeing this experiment that's happening. But still, we weren't 100% sure if, yeah, does she have an Annie? Does she have, have an Audi? And she's just the one person overseeing Mark and, you know, breaking, yeah, exactly. Like now, now she's like, Becoming even more crazy, 
creeper from just like looking, you know, out the window of her own place. Now she's breaking and entering and stealing. But I think, but I think because she had a hint that Petey was there. Now we found out through the episode too that they are still looking for Petey. He's not mm-hmm. really completely free from this system. So that makes you again question the whole cult and the way that this organization is run. Right. And I remember thinking two things when she was, you know, walking around his place and she broke in. One, she makes a reference to the brother-in-law's five books or whatever. So they've been stealing his mail and packages <laughs> and controlling his stuff and invading his company property housing for a long time. And I also wonder, because we're not totally privy at this point to how long he's been living next to Miss Selvig, but it's been a while before the series, at least long enough for them to have a bit of rapport. And so I kind of wonder why why Mark? Because he wasn't initially the, the head of the department. He wasn't necessarily being groomed. Things happened that put him in that position. So what's so important about Mark that causes that level of surveillance for her to live next door to him rather than all the other employees in the company housing? And they also talked about it that, you know, when Petey and Mark are together, you know, Mark tells him, it's like, yeah, yeah, like this, this neighborhood really didn't get filled up. So it's just kind of like him and Mrs. Mm-hmm. That, you know, Mrs. Selvig. Yeah. So like, yeah. So like Jeff, your questions are legit of like the timeline, you know, right. like of when, who moved in, you know, who moved in where and when, you know, was it her first? Was it him? Is that chance? Is it, like you said, is it corporate housing? So you decided to I take... think it was Mark, and then she was placed there to watch over him. Sure, but mm-hmm. like, but then, but that's, but that's like crazy to think that he just picks this, like, house, and then there's no other neighbors that were there before either. Right. Yeah, because there are other departments. We know of at least one other department, and even though it's small, you know, how many different pockets of corporate housing are there what is the surveillance like? And, you know, just what's so special about this sad gentleman? Well, and we're not really seeing the houses of any of the other employees. Not yet. Right? Not yet, right? If we think about it, it's really isolated on Mark. But I think because there's something very secretive about Mark and Petey that's going on or that's kind of been the catapult of everything so something happened with Petey that's really gotten everybody in Lumen worked up. And so, and because of his connection to Mark, I think maybe that's why we're focused more on Mark. Or, I mean, he's our, he's our lead anyways, but it, it'll be interesting to see. So let's go back to Hallie, though. Um, I felt like a lot happened with her in this episode. Of course, her having her meltdown, you have the bathroom scene between her and Mark. Um, where she really expresses her dislike for him, doesn't want to be there, she's over this, clearly wants to go out, but then she's taken to the break room. And we get to see what happens in the break room where you really get broken. What did you make of that scene, Rick? You know, it's not just the scene, but everything kind of that revolves around it. If you look at these guys as employees, they're treated like children. There's the field trip. There's the erasers. There's the finger cuffs. Even when she makes that attempt to take the cap and she, you know, it's like spit it out. It's just like, you know, it's like she spits it out like a kid would Mm -hmm. spit something out. Then when she's in the break room, it's almost like the Simpsons. It's like the white room, like say it over and over again. I will not do this. I will not do that. You know, it's like, granted the directing is like Ben still did a great job of this too, like directing and making it scary. 
you make it seem really scary. Like, you know, she's putting her hands down. You think she's going to get whacked? Is something going to get chopped off? The lighting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the lighting, way the entire too. scene is set up. But it's just the repeat of the thing. And I was like, they're being treated like children, kind of, on some end. And that's what it reminded me of. It reminded me of The Simpsons. Just, I will not do this. I will not do that. <laughs> so, like, I'm wondering if that's just kind of, is that your consequence? Which I guess we'll find out maybe in episode four. But that's where maybe the brainwashing comes in, right? So you really will never have an option to resign from this company or from this particular department because they will make sure that they suck you into the cult. Yeah, and, and there are so many other ways that they subtly control you because, I mean, at this point, we, we don't know for sure, but I'm convinced that their job is something designed to, at least in subtle aspects of it, kind of manipulate them over time. Every single aspect of the workplace seems very tightly controlled. It's a labyrinth of mazes in, in terms of hallways and rooms. Uh, and so this is just one more subtle way that they're primed for to try and recondition them to become whatever Lumen you know, wants them to be for any nefarious purposes that they have. Yeah. Well, and adding to that, you know, if we talk about brainwashing them, well, they go on this wonderful little field trip especially want to take Heli to this field trip to get her more integrated into the system, which turns out to be a little bit of a disaster. But I think the com- the comedy and the timing with the characters during this field trip is hilarious. Like the comments with some of the, the statues, the figures that are there, just the entire setup of what Egan's room looked like before. I think a lot of different nuggets were dropped in that field trip. And you start really seeing... You know, people like Irving, his loyalty to the company, where you really see that this gentleman is so integrated. Like, he just feels this is the way of life. There's no questioning it. And then you still see Heli kind of really wondering what is going on, thinking maybe this is a company full of dentists. I don't know. I I really enjoyed a couple of the moments in there. I think what stood out to me was the sign on the bed, do not I think it was do not lie down here or do not sleep here or something. I'm like, whoa, this is really eerie. Must have been a problem at some point. Right? Yeah. Like, who puts a signage up like that? <laughs> what I love about this scenario is it's kind of true, though. It's like Irving does, this is one of the few times that I would agree with a guy like Irving. Because if you do the metaphor of companies and culture, culture really, really, really matters. And like, I like that conversation between Irving and Mark kind of saying, like, she needs more of a purpose than just her daily work. You know, like maybe we need to inspire her. And that's why he's like, let's let's go here so she can feel like other than just like, what's my daily job? But to understand like this is this is why this is important or this is why I'm loyal to this company or to like whatever it is I do every single day. And so like I like that kind of just that aspect of introducing this because this whole thing is about kind of although it's like weird, fantastical, there's like science fiction, maybe a little bit of horror. It's also just about, you know, how we look at our work lives and our real lives. Yeah, and I do think it's also interesting, too, because even though it's it's very cultish in terms of how they picture the Egan family over the years, there there's a lot speaking to, to legacy and these bigger uh, picture important company culture aspects that they really want to indoctrinate the workers for. And I'm going to use the term indoctrinate because that's obviously what they're doing. Uh, even in when you first get in the door of the perpetuity wing, uh, they have quotes from the founder uh what is it history lives in us whether we we learn or not and remembered man does not decay so they want to be remembered and they want the lineage of the egans which goes back to the late late 1800s 18 starts uh starts with cure in 1841 there we go 
Thank you. Um, yeah, that, that, that lineage is very important to them, but also despite really literally manipulating their employees' memories, they really want you to not, you know, remember anything outside being part of the Lumen family. And they want you to kind of valorize the Lumen, uh, you know, the leaders in, for time immemorium. What also stood out to me, I was just listening to both of you taking everything in, is that I actually was also looking at the aesthetics of the scene, um, looking at the colors that were used, uh, looking at the way they kind of moved through each of the scenes. And what stood out to me is I felt for the first time from the other episodes, like we've been seeing these white walls, the green dry carpet, even the wardrobe of each individual, right? Just very dry and plain. But what's interesting is when they were moving into the bedroom, for the first time I felt like there was a little bit more light and it was a little bit brighter. But then once again, when we started getting inside, that dull, monotony, cave. the cave type of thing. So that was really interesting to me too because it's like we're going to keep you kind of in this jail cell. That's what it reminded me of. And uh, Egan is the light. They even have ah, that. That's good. That's good. Yeah, they they, they even have that uh, speech from uh, presumably Kier Egan. Uh, I believe that's correct. And where he talks about how the four aspects of the human soul are uh, woe, frolic, dread, and malice. And that he walked into the cave of his mind and uh, that he conquered them. And uh, you see that also in the stylized photo of him kind of like as a an angelic figure conquering those things in the season one, in the, uh, the episode one. In the painting. Yeah, in the painting. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of this kind of tour, it's, yeah, so all of a sudden it's like all the smiles. Like you said, you brought the dental thing. It's all the smiles. And it, it almost reminds me of like when you, when your company send out brochures, everybody in the brochure is always smiling and happy, you know, doesn't matter what it is they're selling or they're talking about or whatever. It's, you know, brochure. So it's just like just a wall full of smiles. And of course, like Dylan, you know, he's just like, Oh, I missed the one smile. Like, they took her down. <laughs> so that was great. I, I enjoy that. You know what I wanted to bring up too is earlier we were talking about how this kind of parallels some of Plato's work. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because because uh, Plato, for all the the pla- platonists in the house, uh, hey, uh, it, it's interesting. <laughs> We're a fun bunch here. We try. We try and get super nerdy. Uh, it's interesting because Plato has this theory of the tripartite soul, where uh, the human soul has three elements to it. I guess you could say uh, it has passion, it has reason, and the third one is not in my notes, and I didn't write it down. <laughs> I forgot what it was. Well, no, no, no. That's when we have people in the comments <laughs> chime tell in us. and tell what us in the you third. Think that's it is. that's what it's for. That's like you did it on purpose, man. You didn't just like <laughs> conveniently forget. If you knew to put it in your notes, you didn't conveniently forget it. It's because there, we want you guys to participate. Yes, and but the reason we're even bringing this up is because I mean, you think about it from the writer's perspective, right? And how we're taking Plato's a theory from years, centuries ago, and then now we can still incorporate portions of that into what we're living today mm-hmm. and integrating that into today's system. Right. But it's interesting, too, because for, for Plato and, and, you know, his theories were influential, they influenced Freud. Uh, the interesting thing is that it's a fairly neutral picture of a human, but for Egan's notion of what it is that constitutes a person, or just as far as he sees it, four vices that have to be controlled... They're not they're not good elements to as he sees it. Although I think frolic is kind of awesome, but that's just me. Hmm. 
Yeah, those words aren't like positive words. They're not like, you know, it's almost kind of like the seven deadly sins, like wrath, gluttony. That's what they sound like when I'm listening to it. I'm yeah. like, I don't, I don't see happy or, you But know. there's a purpose to that, see, because that's where Egan, where, that's where when we talk about the angel wings and the light, it's like because of these four negative connotations, well, we're here to shed that light. So when you're at Lumen, we are going to bring that light into your life. We are going to teach you how to navigate the world, how to become better human beings. That's our job. That's what I got. I don't know. I mean, we'll see how, again, this unfolds. But that's what I was figuring out was that, okay, this is what the human is capable of doing and becoming. But when you're here, we're going to show you how to become a better human being and going you know, on the lighter side or, or being given those tools to becoming a better human being. Yeah, and I, I think this speaks to what you mentioned earlier and what we kind of talked about where, you know, companies have company ethoses, they try and make you feel like a family, but for Lumen, it is a cult, you know? Uh, they really think they are reconditioning the vices out of people, and all we are are vices until they get their magnificent smile-inducing hands on us. Rick is uh, pondering a lot of our thoughts right now. I don't know. I just haven't, I haven't got, I, for me, I guess like, I'd look through like our discussion. I, I don't know if, if the, the cult thing has uh, gotten to me yet. Cause like, really? I keep, the reason is, is because I keep looking at it from a more outside, like this is an experiment. This is, that's what I keep looking. I look at like, it's like, I'm a science nerd. I don't know. I'm not, but, but I, I just, that's, so like the cult part doesn't work for me yet. No, but I like hearing your perspective because mm -hmm. to me, I am seeing, a cult type of environment and behavior, just the way they're very manipulative and the way they're trying to brainwash people and they're really trying to get them to go in one way. It's almost like it's their way or the highway, whether it seemed like it was a voluntary thing. But I love hearing your perspective on that because, you know, it, it presents a different viewpoint. Right. And, and I would say I'm going to do the, the really... This is going to sound bad, but I think you're both right. Because, <laughs> Thank because, you, Jeff. Absolutely. Because then that I, means you're wrong. No. Yes. <laughs> no, because I, in identifying that you're both amazing, brilliant human beings, I, of course, am also correct and amazing because I noticed that. Uh, I think that they have a cult-like environment that goes down to the family lineage and the company core, but I think that what they are doing right now is running an experiment to actually now that science has caught up because they've been going since the 1800s, they're really trying to actually engineer new humans in some way. We just don't know how or what the exact purpose is. All right. Something else I've been thinking about is who attends the conference calls. There is that, oh, that great, awkward yeah, that scene. Great, that great scene. <laughs> yep. With Harmony and the board. Yes. And we, you know, we saw... The board. Yeah, no, we saw a version of that happen in episode one when Mark goes in there. Yeah, there's just, there's no response on the other side. It's like but the yet, Charlie Brown episode. <laughs> yeah, like you're, what's interesting is because like, it's that thing of where sometimes if you're with somebody and there's like that uncomfortable silence, then you feel the need to talk or say something. And like, that's what I thought, that's what I enjoyed about this scene was that, well, go ahead. The board's there. They're not responding. They're not saying anything. But yet Harmony feels compelled that she needs to say something. So she just starts kind of just like talking about, you know, whatever she thinks that they're questioning. You know, like nobody asked, asked a question to her, but yet she's like giving them a report. Mm -hmm. Nobody's like saying, okay, give us a breakdown. What happened? She just feels compelled to start saying, okay. And she just starts talking. So I, I love that scene. Well, it's kind of interesting too, because like, uh, let's just put on the philosopher hat one more time. 
Uh, so in Discipline and Punish, uh, Michel Foucault talks about how there was this uh, prototypical prison design called the Panopticon, where there's a central tower and the, the, the prison cells are around it, and you think you might be observed at any hypothetical time. And so the, the mode of control is to make you control yourself because you're always watching yourself because you don't know when exactly you're going to be watched. And it almost seems like that's the type of game they're playing. They not they didn't say anything, but she just keeps going and going and going because she thinks they must be thinking something. They must want something different out of me. Right now, there is this huge concern. Where is Petey? How are we going to find him? And we don't even know the information that Petey contains. So we just know that there is a manhunt out for him, and they want to make sure that he doesn't get out there. And I don't know if they're worried about the information getting out to the wrong, you know, getting out to the public or whatever it is, but they want to find Petey at any cost. Well, because in one of the screens, you know, we did see where Mark's at home, we saw the big debate, you know, the big debate about people that do the severance thing or whatever. So obviously, if anything, a guy like that getting out, it's bad PR, bad PR for Lumen. So it makes sense to be looking for this guy. Right. And you also, uh, they don't know the extent to which he's mapped out and explored the area. They might have some inkling that he has, but they're definitely, like you're saying, in the dark as to what information he has, what he knows, where he's been, and who he's talked to. Now, I'll tell you what I'm curious about with PD is what is causing the, is it the nosebleed or whatever, right? We constantly seeing him have these episodes. And even by the end of this episode, we see him in the store. He's trying to get food. Um, but again, it, it, it looks like somebody punched him. Obviously, there's some type of hemorrhaging happening right blood hemorrhaging happening in his face somewhere wherever so i'm curious to know is this caused by the surgery that happened uh was there a drug given to him uh very curious about that and then i just can't believe he walked that far from mark's house to the store because it doesn't seem like it's, it's warm pretty close <laughs> and it's because warm. it doesn't seem right. like warm yeah <laughs> in a bathroom he's in the brother-in-law's bathroom that he enjoys <laughs> right yeah, right um so i mean just the irony of everything there but again just a very well set up scene i i loved how the colors this the scene of mark driving up you see the ambulance going in we cut away to what's happening at uh, that local store. So what what do you guys think is happening with him? Well, it's one of those things if you watch, because like this show, you cannot watch this show once. You have to watch this show twice. I watched and, it thrice, my friend. Yeah, she was, yeah, Rasha, because <laughs> Rasha has to lead. So she has to watch it thrice. I watch it twice, but that first opening sequence, because I think when you first turn it on, you just want to get a general idea of what happens in the episode. How far do we get in this world? But if you go back, then you can really break down the conversations and everything and in that opening sequence there's mark and pd talking and pd talks about the stitching that happened and he said something to the effect of yeah the stitch like the innie and the audi it's got it's like this weird um it's i mean i almost want to say like he got stitched up like frankenstein you know it's it's just it's it's so like it's, it's like that's why he like keeps kind of being in the present but it stitches to like some other part and then he talks about they Mm-hmm. And so Mark references the whole mind collective, like those protesters. And he's like, no, 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 not them, but they, there's a big, so, they. There's, yeah, there's a bigger, they that explained this whole process and why PD's having like these episodes. Yeah. And it's also uh, interesting to note too, that, that there were mentions earlier in the series 
that there were senators that were against it. It was politically controversial. So there's obviously power players that are concerned with what Lumen's doing. And uh, we also don't know, because we know there are company towns, etc. We don't know how far their boundaries are territorially. You know, so we don't know exactly where he ends up and how much it's under, you know, Lumen surveillance or Lumen control. Although it's probably fairly safe to know they don't exactly know where he is. Right. I don't, yeah, I don't think they really have a clue. You, just to piggyback off what you were saying, Rick, though, I do love how this episode opened with that interaction between Mark and Petey, and then it ends with that interaction. Between, not interaction necessarily, but we do see the episode close out again with Mark and Petey in a different essence. And so, I don't know, there was something um, just very thought-provoking about that for me. I love that we opened with them and we closed with them. And I have to say, with this particular series too, what I have really found intriguing, every single episode really leaves you hanging. I mean, you really want to see what's going to happen next. I think they really leave that question mark in your head. It's like, oh my God, I want to see more. I want to know what's going to happen and where do they come up with this twist? What are some predictions for the next episode? Anything that comes to mind for you? The map. The map. Because we got introduced to the map in the Audi world. And so in that world, P is explaining, hey, I have the map and everything to Mark. But now the any Mark who has no reference of the map is inside and he's come across the map. So, like, I'm interested to see how that plays inside that version of the any mark, and and like with you know because like we're not, you're not supposed to have it. Supposedly, like they can detect everything, and he's come across this thing very clever too to be inside the photos. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing is now, Audi Mark has been you know has the curiosity. So now, what happens to any mark, and how does he react to this? undiscovered piece of information so you think we might be able to see some of that in episode four yeah oh yeah yeah i think so you don't introduce it and but like like but like you were talking about the cliffhanger that's that's what makes you want to come back i mean not only to see the uh, after effects of Hallie's, you know weird thing that she goes through bar you know simpson's thing that she goes through but also that map you know like that's why episode four it got to come back for it now you can't you can't sit there and say I'm tuning out after three episodes. It's not going to happen. Oh no, we're too, we're too engaged. We're too hooked now. Do you think Petey's going to die? Because we we see that scene with him falling over, but we don't know if he's going to die or if he survives. I think Petey's going to get interrogated. Uh, I don't necessarily know we're going to see all of it. We will probably pretty immediately see its effects. I imagine. Uh, I also think that. So I think we're going to see a lot of that. I also think we're going to see a lot more of uh, Heli getting weird consequences for her resistance because I don't think she's done yet. And oh, no. No. I think this is just the beginning for her. And I still have a feeling in episode four, I don't think she's completely brainwashed. I mean, yes, she went out to the breakout room. The break room? Breakout break room. room. Break room, right? She went into the, she was taken to the break room, and I think they're you know trying to break her down, but there's something in her. I don't think she's gonna succumb to them very quickly. I like that word today for some reason, but um, yeah, I, I don't think she's gonna fall that quickly. I'm I think we're still gonna see her trying to break the system a little bit more. I don't know how. I think that's something we have to wait to see, but I think we're gonna see a little bit more of her in episode four as well. I am pretty sure that there's a reason why they're keeping her around and there's a reason why she's staying. 
and we don't know exactly why yet, but I have my theories. Well, what are your theories, Jeff? <laughs> you can't just leave us hanging like that. Can't I? No. Okay. So I think either she is uh, an operative trying to bring them down from the inside or... Mm. Oh, that's I a good one. I like that. Right? I like it. I like it. I think that's possible. I also think she might potentially be, because we, we see in the perpetuity wing that the lineage of the CEOs is the same. They're all part of the same family, passing it down generation to generation. I also kind of wonder if she's an Egan. And there was only one woman in there too, right? There's only one. Uh, Myrtle. So maybe well, she's know, the second one? Well, no. What, well, what's interesting though too is that, okay, if I break them down, so Kier is the founder, the father, whatever, and then Myrtle, the wife, or I believe, like steps in. And the last date that I kind of saw in here as CEO was Pip, and that was 1999. Mm-hmm. So if you aged, if you aged, um, like let's let's go with you, let's go, let's go with it. If you aged Helly, she could probably be at the age to be a uh-huh. CEO. Absolutely, okay. and. And another detail is that, so when they're going through the, the, the Egan's speeches, you have that big, long-winded one about how we're all terrible people and they have to make us better. But then it switches to Myrtle's nameplate and her little speech where, it's, where she says, you know, I think to be an Egan, a true Egan, or anyone in the Lumen family. But when she says, I think to be an Egan, a true Egan, it cuts to Helly. Oh, so that could be some foreshadowing. Uh-huh. No, there's definitely you're you're mm. not wrong in that scene. There was definitely some sort of like a connection, connection. between the right the the female CEO and well Myrtle Myrtle and yes. and Helly or they were doing something there. So that definitely could play. I'm not saying that I didn't see that. I did too. So yeah, there's there's something there. I think she could be in the lineage because the numbers work. Uh, but we'll have to find out in future episodes. We'll have to see if your theories are right. <laughs> Anything else before we head out of here today? No, the other the other thing that, that they kind of just like crashed into was the hierarchy. You know, it's like when they're going through the hallways and then Christopher walk in, you know, that their optics and design show up and Dylan has a real disdain for them and they kind of like talk about like that department. So mm-hmm. now we're seeing a little bit more of the departments or like, you know, like they, they try to theorize how many different departments are at Lumen, which I think goes into like what I was talking about with the map too. So I think that's like those two kind of things and go, will go hand in hand and that's something else maybe that we'll get to see. Yeah. yeah. I think you're spot on. Uh, it's also interesting too, cause they, they kind of dance around the history of the OND department. We're like, Oh yeah, they're only allowed two people yeah. now because they tried like a big coup or something a long time ago. <laughs> so it makes it sound like they're weird warriors that just went department apartment on a killing spree, which Mark says did not happen. So. You know, but I love they- how Irving is smitten by them. <laughs> I mean, he sees no wrong with anything in that department or with that team. And he's just in awe, complete awe. But then he's in awe with the company too. I think he's one of the most loyal people right now from this team of people um, that really just supports what's happening. And he believes it's the best thing that's happening and that everybody Mm -hmm. needs to respect the foundation and where they're working. And I think Mark was like, you guys know each other? You know, I was like, what? You two, you two know each other? So that was that was kind of interesting to kind of see that, too, to say, oh, not everybody knows Bert. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, 
we have, I think, broken it down for you to the T. And so if you didn't watch episode three, do go watch it. But if you did, you may want to watch it again before you check out episode four. A lot of stuff happened. And again, remember, you can email us at shows at Hollywood Critics Association. Make sure you put sub in the subject heading severance so we know that it's addressed to our show. And again, thank you so much for your support. Feel free to comment, of course, like as well, uh, like subscribe to our page, but also like our episodes and let us know what you're thinking. And if you have questions, keep those questions coming. We want to hear from them, right, guys? Well, the third challenge, the third challenge is to find that last piece of Play-Doh that you know, Jeff conveniently left out. And we're talking about Plato the philosopher, not Plato the toy. You know, like, oh. No, but you do get Thank extra Thank you, Rick, for clarifying that. But you do get extra credit points, and we should mention this. If you can make Plato out of Plato, then you get extra credit. Oh, man. What I will fast forward, watch the whole here. show, I'm and so grateful to have such a creative <laughs> team here. <laughs> thank you guys, as always. And thank you all for joining us on another episode of Processing Sufferance, the after show podcast brought to you by the Hollywood Critics Association. Make sure you tune in next time. Have a great week, guys.